Hello, everyone. This is Assistant Editor Holly Gilbert Stowell, your host of Security Management Highlights. Thanks for tuning in to this month's bonus episode, and be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. On May 24, 2014, a lone gunman opened fire at the Jewish Museum of Belgium in Brussels, killing four people. That attack was carried out by a French national with extremist ties who had recently spent a year in Syria. The killings did not garner nearly as much attention as the recent massacres in Paris and Brussels. But as Homeland Security editor Lily Chapa explains in this month's bonus episode, the shooting at the Jewish Museum was just the beginning of what has become a long fight against ISIS and Western-born fighters recruited to the terror group. Well, since that attack, ISIS has become a household name and perhaps one of the most feared terrorist organizations today. The attack was the first of its kind by ISIS outside of a government institution. John Farmer, a Rutgers University law professor who served on the Council for the 9-11 Commission, used the attack as a jumping-off point for a project that identifies the best security practices for vulnerable communities in Europe. But even Farmer couldn't predict the rapid growth and spread of ISIS, and he and his team at Rutgers have expanded the project to create a pilot public-private partnership program in Brussels. Farmer says this is one of the most active terrorist hotbeds in Europe, as made evident by the March bombing there. Since then, the team has been working in overdrive to push out some community guidance. So one of the reasons Farmer and his teams are focusing on public-private partnerships is because a rising number of terrorists are coming from Belgium itself. Almost 7,000 Westerners have gone to fight in Syria, and about 1,900 of those have returned to their home countries. Some countries, such as Germany, France, and Belgium, say they just don't have the resources to effectively monitor the militants coming back home. According to some reports, in France, it takes 25 agents to maintain round-the-clock surveillance of just one returnee. That's why the Rutgers Project, which is similar to the United States' See Something, Say Something program, is so important. This type of program encourages citizens to speak up if they notice a neighbor, friend, or colleague maybe showing signs of radicalization. Lily, you cite a report from the Nonprofit Policy Institute New America, which paints a portrait of these emerging Western militants. So what are some of their characteristics? Sure, this is a really great report. It focuses on more than 600 foreign fighters from 26 Western countries. Countries such as Australia, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom boast the highest numbers of fighters drawn to the Syrian conflict. These fighters are young, with an average age of 25, and include unprecedented numbers of women. One in seven militants are female. By contrast, in the 90s, practically all Western jihadists were male. And last year, the United Kingdom arrested 16 people under the age of 18 for terrorism-related crimes. That's a record number. Online recruitment schemes, as well as family issues, are also complicating the issue. So explain that to us. Well, it's no secret that ISIS and other jihadist organizations rely heavily on online communication with potential militants, and it's really successful. The increase in encrypted communication tools has made it difficult, if not impossible, for intelligence officials to track down the identities of those running online recruitment schemes. Their tactics have evolved so quickly, and there are upwards of 90,000 ISIS supporter accounts on Twitter, which includes online recruiters. Some of these recruiters operate by reaching out to strangers, and others target acquaintances, friends, or family members. 
This is where it gets tricky. Family ties are critical to foreign fighters. Just under a third of the Western militants studied have a familial connection to jihad, and more than half of militants with these familial ties have a relative who has also left for Syria, the report finds. So given all those challenges you have outlined, including the ability of terror groups to recruit fighters via encrypted channels and the familial ties issue, what steps are Farmer and those participating in the Rutgers program taking to assist law enforcement in stopping ISIS activity? The program is focused toward community and business leaders and will hopefully trickle down from there. The goal is to get the entire community to watch for suspicious activity and be willing to report it. Right now, the pilot program will be implemented in two disparate communities in Belgium. Molenbeek, which has a high Muslim population and has become a hotbed for jihadist activity, and the more affluent and ethnically diverse neighborhood of Sablon, where the Jewish Museum of Belgium is located. The Rutgers program has evolved a lot over the past few years. Initially, they were going to present their vulnerable community resiliency research at Europol in June. Instead, they're continuing to meet with law enforcement and community leaders in Brussels to solidify the pilot program, which Farmer hopes will roll out this summer. Farmer says that their plans changed after the Paris and Brussels attacks. He says that the time for summits is over, and the time to actually try to do something is here. And with that deadly attack in Nice, France earlier this month in July, it's obvious that ISIS isn't stopping, so we'll definitely keep in touch with what they're doing at Rutgers to continue to fight the problem. Thank you so much, Lily. Thanks, Holly.